Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with Him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742 or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. And now, here is today's message. Well, I heard from my relatives again. Ole and Sven. Do you want to hear what they said? So, Ole had to go off and take a week of training. And they sent him to Fargo, North Dakota. And he went through his week of training and did all that stuff. But they got done late on Friday, so he wasn't going home until Saturday morning. And so he went to a local uh, bar and grill because they had really good food there, and he's sitting there eating. Another fella came in, and he looked at Oli and said, hey, weren't you at the training this week? And Oli says, yeah, I was. And he goes, my name's Oli. And the other guy says, well, my name is Gustav. And he says, I was at the same training. He says, this is my favorite restaurant in Fargo, and I'm glad you found it. Can I sit down and, and talk about training with you? And so they said, he said, sure. And so Gustav sat down with Oli, and they're having a conversation. And then Gustav says, hey, Oli, do you know any drinking games? And Oli goes, no, I, I don't know any drinking games. He goes, well, I'll teach you one. Oli said, that'd be really good. And so he says, here's the way it works. I'll tell you a riddle. If you can guess my, the answer to my riddle, then I buy you a drink. But if you can't, then you buy me a drink. Well, he says, sounds fun. Let's go. And so, so Gustav says, here's the riddle. My mother and father had a child, but it wasn't my sister and it wasn't my brother. Who was it? And Ole thought and thought and thought. And he finally looked at him and goes, Gustav, I, I don't know who it was. Who was it? He says, it was me, Oli. It was me. And the Oli goes, oh, of course. And so he bought him a drink. Well, the next day he goes home and he calls up Sven and says, hey, I'm back. And Sven, Sven says, well, let's go for dinner because I haven't seen you all week and we just need to catch up. And he says, okay. So they go for dinner. And he said, what would you learn? He goes, well, you learned a drinking game. And he says, you did? He goes, yeah. He goes, what, well, what's it like? He says, well, here's the way it works. I tell you a riddle. If you guess the answer to the riddle, then I buy you a drink. But if you can't guess the answer to the riddle, then you buy me a drink. And he says, okay. And so he says, here's the riddle. My mother and father had a baby. And it wasn't my sister and it wasn't my brother. Who was it? And Sven's just like, hmm. Man, Oli, that's a tough one. He goes, I, I don't know who it was. I give up. Who was it? He goes, Gustav from Fargo, North Dakota. Ah, uh, there you go. That was pretty funny. This morning we're going to finish off the fourth chapter in the Gospel of John. Jesus has been spending time with his disciples. You remember they were in Cana and, and Jesus was at the wedding, turned water to wine. Then they immediately left there and they went down to Jerusalem for a couple of weeks where they were at the, the um, Passover celebration and Jesus did a little temple clearing and did some other things while he was there and taught and, and amazed people while he was there. And then they made their way back up towards Galilee, which is an area similar. It'd be like the Wind River area. So they were going back to Galilee and they went through Samaria where they met the woman at the well and the whole town 
of Sychar was transformed by the message of Jesus and the testimony, not just of the woman, but she, she got it going because Jesus transformed her life. And then because of her testimony, the whole town was transformed and they, they gave their life to Christ. I mean, this is the first missionary evangelistic experience written in the New Testament and Jesus is at the heart of it. And then he presses on from there and he goes on up to Cana, back to Cana where he turned water into wine. And he's going to be in that region. And while he's there, there's another place called Capernaum, which is on the north end of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And, and 19 miles away towards the Mediterranean would be Cana. And, and this this nobleman or rich man, or you could even call him, he's, he's part of Herod's leadership team. He lives there, and he operates in that Galilean area, and his son gets sick. Now, his son isn't just mildly sick. His son is at the point of dying. And, and so now the dad is going, because he heard about Jesus, he heard all about the things that Jesus did in, while he was in Jerusalem, and even the turning the water into wine. He heard these great things about what this man, Jesus, has done. And so he thinks to himself, this guy could help my son because he's in, my son is in desperate need. That's, that's the story of every parent's life, that when your children are sick, you will, you will move heaven and earth to see your kid get better. It doesn't matter whether it's just a little bit sick where maybe mom has to stay home from work and just give a little cuddle and coddling and a little love and a little chicken noodle soup to help them feel a little bit better and feel a little bit more loved while they're, while they're sick because let's just face it, uh, even as adults, we get a little bit whiny when we get sick and we just need a little TLC at that time and so mom stays home and does that. But then when things get really bad, and all of a sudden, mom's running out of options on how to help, and she has no solution for helping their child get sick. Mom will always go, you need to get home and help us there because this is serious. And so the dad will, when a dad gets involved, you know that it's big-time trouble. And this dad's involved, and he's, he's fearful. Because he's looking at his boy. He's watching the color drain out of his face. He's watching this fever take over his body and ravish this little soul. And so the dad is really in a bad place right now. And he's got an urgency about him. And, and this besieged father does what he can. And, and he, because he's, he's part of Herod's leadership team, that means he's a wealthy man. That means that he has everything at his disposal, everything he needs. So I suppose, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but, but because he is a wealthy person, he has things that the common person doesn't, like a horse. And he gets on his horse and he goes at 19 miles as quick as he can to find this man named Jesus who might be, just maybe, be the guy that can help in his time of need. And so he goes to meet with Jesus because he realizes that this is a desperate time. And when we come to desperate times in our lives, we go to desperate measures to try and get things 
sorted out and figured out to, to alleviate whatever it is that's going on in our life. So he, he gets to Canaan, and Canaan is not a big place. And all he has to do is just go, does anybody know where Jesus is? And they go, that's him right there. And so this man goes to Jesus, and here's what he says in verse 47. It says, when this man heard about Jesus and had come to, from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Just remember, just get this picture in mind. The dad is looking at his son. His son probably is going in and out of a coma with a high-pitched fever, and he leaves going 19 miles on horseback, looking at his son, knowing that if something doesn't happen miraculously, if there isn't an intervention of God, his son is going to die. And so he takes off, and he goes, and he finds Jesus. And, and he gets down to where Jesus is, and he comes, and, and he asks Jesus to come and heal his son. And, and this was a, a wealthy man that had everything anyone could want. But there was one thing he didn't have that he needed, and that was health for his son. All the money in the world wouldn't buy health for his son. And so he's desperate, and he's coming, and he's not just asking politely. I mean, that's the way we read it in Scripture that, that he asked Jesus to come down to heal his son. It, it, it's more than just asking. The, the Greek would give it to, to us to understand that it was an urgent sense of begging for him to come down. Because this man has everything he can. He has all the, the resources. He has everything he needs. We are like this man. Because we have things going on around us that, that are come to a, a desperation in our own lives. We can be just like this man. Maybe there's some significant health issue that's going on in our own life. And we know that if there isn't an intervention of God, that our days or our loved one's days are numbered and it's going to be over shortly. And there is nothing that can be done short of a miracle of God. But it, it doesn't just have to do with health. It could also do with, with a marriage that's in crisis. And if something doesn't happen miraculous in that marriage, there will be an ugly divorce. It could be a crisis in relationship with children or your siblings or your friends. And you know that in that relationship that there's desperation that has come into it and there's an urgency to try and figure out how to rescue this relationship because if Jesus doesn't intervene in this relationship, it's going to be nothing but a wreck on rocks and there will be nothing left to salvage. So we all come at one point or another in our lives with some kind of desperation. We have a desperate heart. There's an urgency about what's going on in our lives. Just like this father who come and he's looking for his son. Here's what we, we know is that there's things money can do and there are things that money cannot do. The things that money can do is money can buy you a king-sized bed, but money can't buy deep sleep. 
Money can buy a great house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy a companion, but it can't buy a close friend. Money can buy books. Sorry to tell you this, but it can't buy your brain. You've heard it? Get a brain? Sorry, it just ain't going to work. Money can buy a church, but it can't buy entrance into heaven. And as our text suggests, money cannot buy health. So our wealthy official, he's in a bit of a pickle because he's just like every other dad I know. He's just like me. At some point, dads make a promise to themselves and to the moms of these children. I will do everything to keep this family safe. Come hell or high water, I will protect and I will care for this family. And now this guy who has everything is in a pickle because he can't do anything about the situation that his kid is in. Our text states that the man asked Jesus to come down, but the Greek indicates that it's, it's more than just a simple request. It's a pleading with an insistence, almost like he's coming to the point of falling on his knees and grabbing Jesus' garment and begging him to come. Just come, my kid's going to die. You've got to do something to help him. And this is something that this man is not accustomed to doing. But look what Jesus says to him. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come before my child dies. What Jesus says almost sounds like it's a harsh word to a grieving father. It seems like Jesus has kind of given him the cold shoulder to the man's request. But because the request, what Jesus says is, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But what we don't see, because we see it in the English, we don't see it in the original language. And in the original text, it, it, what it really is saying is as Jesus spoke, he was speaking with a plurality to it. Instead of the you being you, it, it's more like they say, you know, down in the south, y'all. So what Jesus is talking, he says, y'all need to see a miracle. You need to see signs and wonders. You all need to see this before you'll believe. All y'all need to see this. And what he's referring to, what Jesus is talking about, is there's an entourage of people, other wealthy people, who have come with this desperate dad for his son. They always come together, and they've gathered around him. And so it's the elite. It's the people that have more money than anybody. We would call them billionaires in our time. And, and they, they almost look down their noses at everybody. And more than likely, these folks don't even like the message that Jesus has. Because the message that Jesus gives is it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're famous or infamous, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, a slave or a free, it doesn't matter who you are, Greek or Jew, it doesn't matter at all to God, what He wants you to do is come to Him and find relief for your life because your life is holding you in bondage. They don't like that message because they're the elite ones. They live higher and better and greater. They're more, more than anybody else. 
So they come and, and they're, they're there because it's the show that they're coming for. They've heard about Jesus. They're going to go, I wonder what he's going to do. I wonder what miracle he's going to perform. I wonder what mighty deed is going to happen. And so they came with that. And, and, and Jesus is calling them out on it. And he's, he's going, unless you all believe, all see something, you type of people, you elite thinkers who think you're greater and better than anybody else, if you don't see signs and wonders, then you'll never believe. And then the father, he's like, I'm not here to argue with you about my status. I'm not here to say I'm better than somebody else. All I want, all I'm desperate about is, is my son because he's dying and there's no one that can do anything about it to stop the process that's going on and I'm wondering if you're that guy that can do it. That's all I want to know. Can you help my son? Can you come down and help my son? And Jesus in verse 50 told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. There's a couple things I want to pick out of here that are really important for us to get our thoughts around. The first one is when Jesus says your son will live. That's not exactly the way it's translated right straight out of the Greek. It, it, it just makes more sense in our language to say it that way. He says, it, really what Jesus was saying is, your son is living, he lives. He's, he's telling him. He's telling him something that the father doesn't know. The father, as far as he knows, his son may already be dead. And Jesus goes, no, he's living. And he lives. And Jesus is both answering and denying the Father at the same time. The way he denies the Father is the Father is pleading with, with Jesus, would you please come down to my house 19 miles away and, and heal my son? And Jesus is, no, I'm not going to go to your house. That's the denying. But then he also gives to him an answer to his question. But you go because your son is living. He's alive. So he says, no, I'm not going to go. But yes, your son is going to be healed. You can be a little bit confused with that. But there, there's something that happens here because now he's done begging because he's heard the answer from Jesus and he understands authority that when somebody says no, they mean no. Unlike our children. Please, 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 pretty please, can I have an automatic machine gun? No, because you'll shoot your sister with it. So he grants him the desires in the words, your son is living, and therefore grants the request. The thing that we also need to take notice of is that Jesus gave this father an opportunity to believe at a higher level of faith. No longer just to believe on what Jesus could do, but to believe on who Jesus was. The guy didn't really know exactly who Jesus was. The entire conversation could be summed up by us saying it this way if it were happening today. 
Jesus would be saying to him, are you one of those seeing is believing kind of guys? Because there's a lot of people in our world today that say that. But the father, in a sense, his reply is, I'm just a desperate father. I don't want to talk about anything else except the healing that maybe you, if possible, you could bring to my dying son. I need your help. So then Jesus says, if you believe, then you will see. The higher level of faith is set before the man. It's a true faith. It's the ground on which everything else is born in this story for the man. It's not what Jesus can do or what has been done, but it is who he is. The man must have had a small measure of faith because he believed. We know he believed what Jesus said because he started to go home. Go home because your son's healed. So the man, not knowing really, decided to just believe and he stopped pleading and started begging and he said, I've got to trust that what Jesus just said is actually the truth. And so he goes on his way. You know, here's the deal about what Jesus is incorporating in this man. He's helping him to understand that faith is not how you feel, but it's what you do. It's what you do. It's interesting, if you go and read through all the rest of the Gospels, and you look at the accounts where Jesus heals someone, he always gives a command with it. For instance, when he heals a lame man laying by the, the pool of Bethsaida, he says to him, pick up your mat and walk. The command is to pick up the mat and walk. The result is healing. He packs mud on another man's eyes and says, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash the mud off your eyes. The command is to go and wash. He does, and when he washes the mud off of his eyes, he can see. To the lepers, he says to them, go and show yourselves to the priest that you have been cleansed. And as they went to, to the priest, the leprosy left them and they were cleansed. When he called the little girl who had died and was laying on her bed, Jesus called her and said, child, get up. And the child got up. You see, there's, there's a command. And what that command really shows us is that there is a part that we do and there is a part that only God can do. But he calls us to do our part. It, it reminds me of the group of four men. They had a buddy that was in desperate need. He was, he was in desperate need physically and emotionally. And so they came to their friend's side and on his behalf and they put him on a stretcher and they carried him to the house where Jesus was meeting with a group of people and they stood outside of the house trying to get that stretcher in so that Jesus could take a look at their buddy and they couldn't get in so what did they do they go up on the roof and they remove the tile from the roof just big enough to get this stretcher and then on these ropes as Jesus is teaching all of a sudden Right there in front of Jesus is this guy on a mat. I'm pretty sure Jesus went, oh, hello there. And he went, 
Hi. What are you doing? Oh, I can't do anything because I'm paralyzed. I can't move. I can just smile. See, this guy was in deep trouble. I mean, just think about it. He was a paraplegic. He couldn't take care of himself. Can you imagine what that does to you emotionally? I mean, just think about how being uh, isolated and locked up and going through COVID for the last two years and all the hoo-ha went along with that affected our selves emotionally. And here he is, right in front of Jesus. I can just, the other part that just kind of cracks me up because I have kind of a goofy, vivid, vivid imagination that as he's late, you know, Jesus probably looks up through the ceiling and there's four smiling faces going, hello! And Jesus is going like, because Jesus was impressed by those guys up there. He was impressed by their bold belief. He was impressed. Matter of fact, in verse 20 of Luke 5, here's how it starts off. Look, see, it's underlined right there. Seeing their faith. Whose faith? Those four guys up there. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to this guy, young man, your sins are forgiven. Those guys up there going like, that's not why we sent him to you. He can't walk. And Jesus is, is going like, mm-hmm. You see, the men on the roof didn't know that this guy's greatest need was a spiritual need. I, I got bad news about this fellow that was laying on this mat. He died. Bad news. He died. I don't know when he died. He might have been 105. Walked around town going, I used to be on a mat like, you know, paralyzed, and now I walk. And he probably did that his entire life. But eventually that guy died. But guess what happened? Because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, when he died, he went that way, not that way. He, he, he had a place secured with Jesus because Jesus understood what nobody else understood about that man. The most important thing of his life was that his sins would be forgiven because you can get healed and, have your, and not have your sins forgiven and it's not going to do you any good to be healed because you're still going to go to hell. And yet Jesus knew the man's greatest needs. But the religious scholars and the Pharisees, they went nuts because they were sitting in the room with Jesus. They were going like, who does this guy think he is? That's blasphemy to talk like that. God and only God can forgive sins. I want you to know something. Jesus never does anything kind of willy-nilly, haphazardly. Everything he does is a calculated move. He already knows what the outcome is going to be, and he told the man his sins were forgiven is because it became a highly teachable moment for everybody sitting in the room and standing around the house looking in, going, what's he going to do next? He forgave his sins, but the guy still can't walk, Jesus. And by the way, can you really forgive somebody's sins? So what does Jesus do? In verse 24 and 25, he says, So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up. Okay, here's the command, okay? The command is, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. 
that was it? I mean, if, if he would have been right here, he would have been going down. Whoop, look what Jesus did. And you would have gone like. <laughs> Here's the point of that story. That man had two great needs. One of them was obvious and seen. You could see he couldn't walk. He needed help. His life was miserable. He relied on everybody for everything. And it was never going to get any better. This, on this mat was his best life. And that's what everybody thought. That guy really needs help. Jesus saw what nobody else saw. A heart that needed to be touched by Jesus in a deep way. Needed forgiveness. Needed to know newness. Needed to have health. It was... It was dying. It was dead. He was spiritually dead. And Jesus made him spiritually alive and gave him health to boot. That was the bonus, the walking part. And, and that's us. We're that guy. And sometimes we don't have the strength to go and see Jesus. Sometimes we don't have the faith to get there. Sometimes, let's just use the word, it's, it's, it's masked over, but let's talk about it a little bit. Sometimes we're just too depressed to give a damn. And we don't want to do anything. We just want to sit there and we want to say, nobody loves me, nobody cares for me, look how miserable I am. Somebody has to come and feed me, somebody needs to come and change me. And then, there's a knock on the door. And your four faithful friends are coming in, and they're going, hey, we know your life sucks. But we're not here to tell you that your life sucks. We're here to take you to see Jesus. We're going to take you to the throne room of Jesus. We're going to come, and we're going to pray for you, and we're going to ask Jesus to do something great in your life, and we're just going to come alongside you. Everybody needs a faithful friend who will take them to see Jesus. When we can't do it ourselves, we need someone else to do it for us. We need someone else to come along and just give us a little bit of hope. We just need someone to go, I believe in Jesus for you. And that's what, that's what it's all about. That's what prayer is all about. That's what's coming along somebody, alongside somebody that helps. It helps us when we get touched that way by faith. Our faith is just, it grows to this humongous thing called a mustard seed. Because if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And we need someone to come alongside of us to help us move whatever mountain of despair we have in our life. Whatever the thing, whether it's a relationship, marriage, whether it's a health thing, maybe it's a finances, you're upside down and you, you're, you're going to lose, you feel like you're going to lose everything. And it all looks impossible. But then someone comes along and says, here it is, my faith I'm looking through the roof down at Jesus, smiling, waving, Jesus, do something, come on. You can be that guy. You can be that gal. We all need him. I need him. I need you. I need you, listen to this, 
I need you more than you need me. I need you more than you need me. And I mean that with every ounce of my being. I love you guys deeply. I love all of you. But I also know that without you, I, would, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So the problem with us is that sometimes we absolutely forget what faith looks like. In Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is something we hope for, not in vain like, oh, I hope it's going to work out. I hope it's going to work. I, I hope Duke is going to win. Oh, they didn't. Not that I'm sad about that, but I'm just, you know, I'm, it just fits, I'm wearing Carolina blue for Pete's sakes. And some of you are going, what are you even talking about? I had a weird dream last night, I think. Our real hope is in Jesus. Not for what he can or will do, but for who he is. He's the sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. He's the one that put everything together. He's the one that made all things new. Hope in Jesus is where our expression of faith comes from. Your faith comes from Jesus. It's the infilling of the Holy Spirit that produces faith to, to, to help the hope get to where it needs to go. This dad who is desperate, he's seeking Jesus because right now he has no faith and everything is hopeless. Romans 10 tells us that faith comes from the hearing, from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is really, this is one of those verses, it's not a very long verse, but this is one you need to put to memory. This is one of those verses you need to think about. This is one of those verses that's going to help you in life, because there are times when your faith is waning, when your hope is, is, is in the gutter and you don't know what to do and you're looking around and you go what do I do to bolster my faith read the Bible that's the word of Christ and when you when you read the Bible that's what grows your faith your faith isn't manufactured out of thin air it's not oh there's faith it's because I've read the Word of God, and now because the Word of God, I've read it again, I've read it again, I keep reading the Word of God, and the place that it becomes relevant in my life and becomes faith in my life is when I read the Word of God, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit brings the revelation of God's Word to my life to where I'm going, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Because faith is not feeling it is action. Back to our desperate father. Verses 51 and 52. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. Good news. Good news. Good news. 
And he asked them when the boy had become to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. This guy's putting two and two together. He's going like, it happened yesterday. That's when I was talking to Jesus. I wonder what time, what time was it? It was one o'clock yesterday. And all of a sudden, he realized that this is the, the glorious news. Your son is living. He realized this is the moment when Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. It, it broke on him a new realization of, of who Jesus was, not what Jesus could do, but all of a sudden he realized that the Jesus was someone who had authority over illness and that he wasn't limited by the distance or time for his boy to be healed. I think that sometimes we kind of get messed up and we just think that because Jesus isn't right here, he can't do anything. That Jesus isn't right here, he can't perform a miracle. I'm going to tell you, miracles are being performed all the time. So, verses 53 and 54. When the father realized that was the very time Jesus told him, your son will live, and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. I believe that as the man heard the news that the spirit of Jesus revealed to him, this is who Jesus is, not this is what Jesus does. And at that moment, he, he had a different belief that hit him. It was no longer a belief and a trust in God for what he does, but it was a belief and trust in God for what, who he is and how he works in our lives. And, and that's what's applicable to us. It, it, it was a revelation of the way God works, a combination of human and divine activity. At Jesus' first miracle in Cana, what did he say? He told the servants, go fill these jars with water. Jesus didn't make any gesture. He didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. The, the servants obeyed and filled with water. And then the water was turned to wine without anything that Jesus did. And so the, the servants did what they could do. What could they do? Put the water into the, into the jars. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus did what they could not do. They could not turn that water into wine. And Jesus did that. Jesus did. He told the man, go because your son is living. He did what he could do. He brought the request and then he believed and he went. And Jesus did what the man could not do. And Jesus brought healing into the kid's life. That's the way God works in human life. He tells us what we can do and we do it. Then he adds the ingredient that we cannot add. And that accomplishes a result that we never thought would really happen. Hebrews 11.6 says it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The man was rewarded. He came to Jesus seeking something. He asked a favor 
a divine favor of Jesus and Jesus granted it and the man walked away, got on his horse, but I'm sure as he's going, he's thinking, I asked him, he said it would, but I don't know if it's really going to happen. And then the servant said it happened and now he believed differently. In Hebrews 12 it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by this, get this, this is important. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus because he's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus is the originator and completer of faith. That is why, I mean, that is what Jesus has come to do, to impart faith and make it grow. There's one translation that says it this way, that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The story that we just had about this man, this desperate dad, tells us that we are in the hands of the one who does not always answer our prayer the way we want Jesus to answer our prayer. But he will always answer our prayer for what is best for us and gives him the most glory. Our faith as a result becomes stronger, cleaner, truer. We are enabled to exercise it at a far higher level than we ever were before whatever happened to us. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And I, I believe that this story is telling us that we need to trust him for more than what we do. I believe that there is a, a deep lack of faith and hope in Jesus for anything greater than blessing our meal at dinner time. The great NFL coach Tom Landry said, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they really want. That is what Jesus does. He puts us through circumstances we don't want to go through. He makes us face things we do not like to face in order to achieve what we have wanted with all of our hearts all along. I didn't put this in my notes, so I'm probably going to screw it up when I tell it to you. But the, the work of God in hard things, the hardness of God in our lives is softer than the kindness of any man. Because he works for our goodness. He works on our behalf. He takes us to places we don't want to go because he wants us to grow in ways that we would never grow. This dad, this desperate dad, needed something that he couldn't get on his own. And I believe that in this room today, there are a lot of us here who are wearing masks. We're desperate right now. 
We're desperate for something from Jesus. We're desperate for it. And we've come and we're asking with just an ounce of hope that maybe Jesus could perform a divine favor for me. I say ask him. And then when he says, do this, do it and see what the results will be. There's always our part in it. A guy named um, McLaren of Manchester said, the way to increase faith is to exercise faith. And the true parent of perfect faith is the experience of the blessings that come from the crudest, rudest, narrowest, blindest, feeblest faith that man can exercise. Trust him as you can. Do not be afraid of inadequate conceptions or of a feeble grasp. Trust him as you can and he will give you much more than you expected that you will trust for more. I don't know what it is you need to trust Jesus for today. I, I, I can't read your heart. But Jesus knows. It's like the man on the mat. Jesus knew what he knew. Jesus knew what he needed more than anything else. And it was internal. It was in the soul. It was in the heart of the man. And then he gave him the unexpected, the ability to walk. The dad came desperate and received more than he thought he was going to get. He had relationship with Jesus. So I don't know what you need to ask Jesus for this morning. I don't know what you're desperate for. But I'm going to say this. When the team comes to play, just take a minute and ask him. And then go where he tells you to go and do what he tells you to do. Amen? Father, we're so grateful for this account. It, it shows to us what it looks like to have a heart that at times is desperate. A heart that is weary, worn out. A heart that's hiding, just hoping nobody will notice. And yet, in that moment, you will speak to every aspect of our situation and you say to us, trust me. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you need. Then trust me to lead you, not as you want me to lead, but as what is best for you and for my glory. So I pray that you would give us a renewed sense of hope in you today you will do greater things in greater ways in our lives and that you would strengthen our faith in the process. We ask this in Jesus' great name, amen.